Y'all could probably preach that sermon again, right? You've heard it enough. That's incredible. We're in this series, as we said, this series of talks called Jesus People. And we've just been unpacking some of these ideas, like who are Jesus people, rather than listening to media or maybe how we grew up, just examining the word about, you know, examine the Bible about who, who are Jesus people. And uh, man, do we want to be a Jesus people? Like, would you want to be a Jesus people? And, and what, what is the benefit from that? Like, does following Jesus actually make any impact on my life? And so we've unpacked some of the cultural values of our church over the last several weeks. And one of them today that we're going to talk about that I I really believe has the capacity to open your life up more than any is this idea that generosity is golden. Generosity is golden. I just want to read kind of the what the what how we view that at Stone Creek. It says, freely we have received, received. Can you say that word? Uh, Freely, I can read, I promise. Freely we have received, freely we give. The generosity of grace compels us to unfold our lives and our bank accounts for the good of others. God is not just looking for people to send his message to. He is looking for people to send his message through. We reject a spirit of obligation and say yes to a spirit of opportunity. There is no higher honor than being gifted to give. And that's what we mean by generosity. This is an opportunity we have to give our lives and to give our money, to give our effort, to give everything to other people. You know, Jesus said it this way. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You've heard this? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And if you need to be blessed, I'll be glad to receive your gifts, right? And that's not really true. But we know that we get more joy, more life out of giving away. And generosity isn't just something that has to do with our, with our pocketbooks, with our wallets, with our bank accounts. It has to do with our entire lives. And so I have this question. I just want to frame up the entire day. I hope you'll think about it as we go through the message. Uh, take it home with you. And it's a very simple question. Am I a giver or a taker? Like, just be honest with yourself. Am I a giver or or a taker? Do I give to people? Do I give energy? Do I give effort? Do I give encouragement? Am I a giver or a taker? Would my spouse say I'm a giver or a taker? Would my kids say? Would my parents say? Would my neighbors say I'm a giver or a taker? Now, I I have a hunch that most people would want to be givers. But let's be honest. The next question you have to answer is how would I know? How would I know? I just want to kick it off by telling a story of a friend of mine who has one of the most generous spirits that I know. And so a few months ago, he had decided to retire. And it's one of those retirements where you're actually not quitting work, you're just taking on a second career, you know, that kind of retirement. (laughs) And so he actually has another career lined up, but he was done, had the years, the age that added up for him to be able to retire. So he invited me to come downtown, um, down into Sandy Springs for a retirement lunch that he was having. And so I said yes, of course. And so I get my suit on without the tie, because that's the way you do it now, because that's the cool thing. Um, You know, if you have a wedding or funeral, you wear the tie. Anything else, you don't wear the tie. And so I asked my wife, do I need to wear a tie? She's like, ah, put it in the truck. You know, be like the Boy Scouts. Just be prepared. You'll be ready in case anything happens. And so I, I, I begin to make my way down there. Now, I'm wanting to be fashionably late. I, how many of you people, are? you always show up early to the party or the dinner or the lunch? Like, and sometimes it gets awkward. Like, you're standing around like, what can we talk about? I don't know. So like, I'm, it's going to be lunch. I can show up a few minutes late. So as I'm driving down 400, he texts me. He says, hey, would you be willing to say the opening prayer before the thing kicks off? <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. Um, would you be willing to call the state patrol? Now, <laughs> so I, you know, began to I quicken my pace and I get down there to Sandy Springs and I go in to park. And as I pull in the, as I pull in the, the uh, parking garage, I text him, hey, I just pulled in the garage. He's like, that's awesome. You have four minutes before you're up. Like, that, that's, that's great. So I park in a handicapped spot. Uh, not really. Um, and, then, and then I have to tie my tie. Now, guys, you feel me on this? When you haven't tied a tie in a while, it may take a few tries. 
You know what I mean? Like, because what happens is you tie it, ladies, you, you may not know this, you tie it and, you know, it'll be like too long down to here or it'll be too short up to here. And so I'm running through the parking lot. I'm looking at people's rearview mirrors. Alarms are going off. You know, I'm just, I'm causing chaos. And so I kind of make it into the room. And, I, and as I get, kind of go in the room, I come in the back. And I'm not even sure I'm in the right room at this point because it's a facility that has a lot of them. But I'm thinking everybody needs prayer, right? They'll use me. So I go in the room and I'm standing in the back and I'm getting my bearings and there's about 300 people in the room. Okay. Now, as I was driving down 400, I didn't just want to show up and say some generic prayer. I mean, I know I'm the professional prayer everywhere, but like I wanted to matter. I want people to think I thought about it. So I'm on the phone. I had my assistant was texting me the website from the company that he works for, all their values and their mission statement. Man, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to say this grace good like Ricky Bobby, right? I mean, I'm in it. And I, as I go in and I stand at the back of the room, my tie's down to here. I, they, I got about 30 seconds. And they call me to the front. Hey, and now Stephen Gibbs, pastor of Stone Creek Church, is going to come up and he's going to say the blessing for the day. And so I still don't really know what I'm in for. I find out a little bit later. But I go up and I say some kind words about my friend, how awesome he was to text me last minute to say the prayer at his retirement. Um, and I you know, talked about the people that he served with and I prayed and I sat down. And then, and then, and then it happened. Like After the prayer, they had this opportunity where people stood up to give him gifts and to say words about him and what he meant to them over his years of working for this organization. And I began to hear people, and I'd just come from Alpharetta. They'd come from all over the country. And they had showed up from every sector of the economy. They have shown up from business organizations, from government entities, from educational organizations. And they began to just stand up and talk about how great my friend was. And they didn't talk about his resume and his accomplishments. They talked about the kind of person that he was. They talked about the way that when their kids got sick or was in the hospital, he was the first one to call. They talked about the way that when they visited Atlanta from other places around the globe, that his wife and him would take them out to dinner and just spend uh, spend the evening talking about their family and getting to know them. But there was this one story that this guy told. He lived in a different part of the country, and uh, my friend wanted to talk to him and interview him about hiring him. And he, he didn't want the job. He didn't want to move. He loved where he lived. He loved his current position. All his family lived there. And he told his wife, hey, I'm not going to take the job, but I have to take the call. You know, and, and, and you guys kind of know sometimes it's just appropriate to take the call. So he takes the call. And as he hangs up the phone, he tells his wife, he says, I don't know where that guy wants me to move to, but I'm going to work for him. Because, and, and after lunch, I went over and I found him. I'm like, hey, tell me, what was it about the phone call that made you want to take the job? And he says, well, you know, when, when, when we got on the phone, he didn't ask me about my resume. He didn't ask me about my accomplishments. He didn't ask me about what I'd done. He didn't ask me why I wanted the job. He just began to ask me about my family. And he began to talk about character development. He asked me my dreams. He began to paint this picture of the future. And he cared about me as a person. And I knew that wherever I went, I'd, I'd be happy. I'd be happy. Like, don't you know some people like that? Like, when you run into them, it's as if their, their life just radiates light around them. That, that their words are just words that always engage you. Maybe they'll say something funny or kind or encouraging. That no matter what they do or where they go, they just be, seem to be full of optimism and hope. Man, that's a generous spirit. And that's what generosity will do for us generosity is golden. Are you, are you a giver? Are you a taker? And so today I want to take us on a little bit of a journey, you see, because generosity is a matter of the heart. You know this, don't you? 
It's a matter of the heart. And so today what I want to do is to do some heart work. It takes some heart work to be generous. You see what I did right there? Wasn't that good? You like that? And I think in our community, in our context, I believe that our time together has the ability to unlock some things in you. Because we know we live in a pretty affluent area. We know that the materialism could be something that could hold us back. But sometimes we don't know how to grapple with it and deal with it. So today, I'm coming after your heart. And I want you to know I'm coming full speed. I'm not going to leave anything out. Some of this will be a little offensive, I hope. <laughs> Hopefully, it will be encouraging. But what I, what I need you to hear is that I believe God has more life for you today. I believe God has more dreams for you that your money can't buy today. And I just want to see you experience that. Amen? All right, so let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now, Matthew was written by one of Jesus' followers, someone who was an eyewitness account. And as we see Matthew chapter 6, this is in the middle of the longest sermon that we have recorded that Jesus taught. It's called Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is actually elevating the level of everything everybody knew about the law, everything that everybody knew about the religion that they were in. And he is elevating the teaching. And so he comes to this idea of treasure. And so in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, he says this, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Have you ever had any treasure that got destroyed? Like, do you buy something once and it just rusted? Anybody ever been in a car accident and totaled their car? Anybody ever had some clothes that got torn or wore out or just went out of style and you took them down to Goodwill? Right? I mean, we know that this is actually true, that things that we buy can't last. You ever bought a toy for maybe your young child and they ended up playing with the box and not the toy? You know how that goes? We know that, that things don't always live up to the hype that they've been given. But guess what? We evidently buy into the hype. Can you say Facebook ads and billions of dollars spent on marketing? Right? We evidently, we, we somehow get drawn back into believing it's going to give happiness. But Jesus says this. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. So what I love about this is that we get to lay up treasure. We get to store treasure. We are treasure hunters at heart. And we get to store up treasure. The, the issue is it's just not here. Those things aren't real treasure. It's there. There's more to your life than this life is what Jesus is saying. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he goes on in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Like, it's really clear, isn't it? Like, there's some times in the Bible, there's some things I'm like, Jesus, like, that's gray. Like, couldn't you give us the answer? Like, come on. Man, couldn't we have something that's just, you know, it's black or white? Just give us the answer. But sometimes, like the word love, it can be a little ambiguous. There is no ambiguity here. You can't do both. You can't love God and love money. And so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to paint the picture of what he's talking about with the heart. Then I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about five different promises that God gives when it comes to being generous. Five different promises. But first, let me talk a little bit about the heart. Man, Jesus, the Bible talks about giving more than, almost, more than anything else. And, and let me just kind of quantify that. You know, the word believe, which seems important, is used 272 times in the Bible. Okay? The word pray, another important word in the Bible. 371, so about 100 times more than believe. The word love, the great commandment, 
714 times it's used in the Bible. The word give is used, wait for it, 2,152 times in the Bible. Like, why is that? What is Jesus' motive in that? Well, it can't be that he wants our money because he never asked, he never took up an offering. They never passed a basket in one of Jesus' gatherings. <laughs> and he also gave everything away. It says in 2 Corinthians, it says that, don't, don't forget, you know the grace of Jesus, that, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Hey, hey, if you're a Jesus people, we can never lose sight of that. We can never lose the heart connection of that. We can never lose the urgency of that. We can never lose the power of that. How many people do you know gave something to you and don't want anything in return? This is the model that we have in Jesus. You know, the first thing we see is that God is just generous. God is generous, and he wants our heart to look like his. So, so everything that you have is because God is generous. So think about it. You came up Highway 9 today, and maybe you got a green light. You know God's generous then. You, know, you woke up, and you were able to breathe. You had clothes to put on. God is generous. Maybe you woke up and saw the sun come up. Or maybe last night you saw the sun set. We got the rain to water our plants. College football is starting. I mean, God is generous. Everything that we love, the food that we eat, the people that we know, God has given that to us. And the natural outflow of that is to be like God and to be generous. God is generous. The next thing we see is generosity shows me who my master is. He says in verse 24, you know, you can't serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. And we're all mastered by something, aren't we? And there's something that's mastering us. We just get to decide who it was. It reminds me a little bit of the a scene out of Remember the Titans. You guys have seen this movie, Remember the Titans? You guys have seen this movie, Remember the Titans? So let's go. I know you were so enraptured by my speech you couldn't answer, right? <laughs> Remember the Titans, great movie. You have Denzel Washington, Coach Boone, and he's the new coach coming into a racially charged environment. And he's getting on the bus to do uh, a week-long practice, uh, summer workout, away from school, away from distractions. And they're doing two and three a days. And so as he's getting on the bus, one of the linebackers comes up to him, Gary Bertier. And he's, he wants to be sure he tells the coach exactly how things are going to run. And so he does. And Coach Boone, again, played by Denzel Washington, the best actor ever. Denzel Washington looks over and he points over. He says, Gary, who's that? He says, that's my mama. He says, guess what, Gary? She ain't getting on the bus with us. <laughs> when you get on that bus, you mind. Gary, who's your daddy? Gary, who's your daddy? Gary, who's your master? Who's in charge of you today? That's what, that's what he was saying, and I love that. And we're all mastered by something. And culture definitely has a way it wants us to think about money. I mean, we've been thinking about it all week because of student loan forgiveness. It's in, it's in the news this week. That, that, you know, there's some amounts out there. And this isn't, a, this isn't intended to be a political statement. This isn't intended to even say whether or not you should have your loan forgiven up to whatever amount it should be. But, but I've had a couple people ask me this question. Hey, you know what? If they're going to forgive student loans, should I just take out a bunch of loans and then maybe they'll, the government will pay them off? Like, what, what, who's your master? The government? Like, is this who we're trusting with our future? They don't have a good track record, guys. So we have to ask ourselves, man, culture thinks a certain way about money. And our Jesus people aren't supposed to think the same way. Why? Because God's got us. And God's in charge of us. God's got our past, present, and future. 
And the way that we reveal that we believe that is by how we handle, by how we handle our money. Listen, generosity screams, God's my master. Generosity screams, God's in charge of my life. You know, generosity is also love in action. When he says that, you know, your, where your heart is is where your treasure is. We see that, that that's actually love in action because your treasure follows your heart. Do you know that, that, it, that you can give without loving something? I mean, some of you parents, you've been given to travel baseball for years and you don't love it. <laughs> but you can never love something without giving to it. You can never love something without giving to it. Think about your hobbies. Hey, if you're married, great example. Husbands, you can't love your wife without giving to her. You know, when she says, hey, I just need a weekend away, you should take her to Italy is what you should do. You're welcome, ladies. Yeah, there you go. Why? Because you love something, your money goes with it. That's, that's the, way it's, the way it operates. You know, recently in college football, they've begun to pay and to um, compensate college football players. You know this. If you don't, you need, you need to figure it out because if you don't know, that means your team's going to lose is what that means. Um, and you can just say, hey, welcome. I'm from Georgia Tech. Um, so just kidding. Awesome. I'm just engaging, y'all, engaging. I told you on the, t- I told you on the top some of this is going to be offensive. All right. So think about it. So what you can do is they have this name, image, and likeness um, rule now where players can make money off their name, image, and likeness. And so one way that the common football fan can participate in that is that you can join uh, an organization, a club, that actually will pool all the money that's given and distribute it to players. And in return, what you can do is you can get an autograph or an audience with the player or whatever. Like, why would you do that? Because you love Georgia. You love your alma mater. You love Florida. Or you love Alabama. I don't know why. But you love that organization, your money is going to flow to what you love. And God says what? Love me first. Love me first. Generosity is love in action. Hey, hey what, what would you say your generosity says about what you love? If you looked at your budget, because the budget is a spiritual document, what would it say you love? Listen, your wallet will tell the truth on you, won't it? Your bank account will tell the truth on me, won't it? What is it that you love based on your bank account? All right, the last thing on, on heart, generosity actually reveals my character. Man, how I see the world. Am I unselfish or selfish? Am I a giver or a taker? Have you noticed that people who are generous, their whole lives are generous? Man, they're generous with their time. You know, you need to move, you can call them up to come and help you. If you need to borrow a, a piece of yard equipment, they'll bring it over. Man, man, if you're going through a difficult time, they'll get on the phone with you at 2 a.m. If you need a help, they're going to show up. Generous people are generous through and through. Why? Because it is a heart issue. It defines who we are. And what Jesus says is you can say your heart's in the right place, but our money will actually prove where our heart is. You know, in the Bible, there are several thousand promises about generosity. If you have a premise, if you're generous, then this happens. So I'm going to cover about 2,000 in the next five minutes. But I'm going to cover five promises in the time that we have together. Now, the first promise that we have is that generosity actually increases happiness. 
you know, generosity increases your happiness. If you look at the verse that I read just a little bit earlier, Jesus' words, he says, what it is more blessed to give than to receive. And as we get into adulthood, we begin to, we begin to realize this. You know, as kids, it's all about what I get. You know, wrap some gifts up, put it under the tree. I can't wait to open what I get. But, you know, as you begin to be a parent and you get to wrap some gifts and you get to be excited about what you're giving your kids, you begin to get more joy actually out of giving than getting. You've experienced this. How many of you guys have ever been on a mission trip? A handful. we got lots coming up. You'll know that if you go on a mission trip, number one, it's going to be hard work. It's going to cost you some money. You run the risk of you know, eating something that could make you sick. But you always come home and say, I got more out of it than they did. This is the principle that makes you happier. Like even in, even Harvard studies show from Harvard Medical School that people who are generous are happier in life, they live with more optimism, and they actually make more money. The more you give away, you actually get in return. There's a spiritual principle at work when it comes to our money. Like I could, there's an example I have this from when my kids were young. You know, we used to, always, we used to go to Waffle House regularly. I'm not sure why. Any Waffle House fans in the house? Come on. Like it is an Atlanta staple, right? And so we would go to Waffle House. And my kids, when they were young, they're always trying to figure out this tip thing. They couldn't quite figure it out. Like how much are you going to leave? Like how much are you going to leave? Was the service good? Was the food good? I'm like, it's the Waffle House. And so they're like, how much are you going to leave? And so I would just try to tell them, hey, what I leave is going to always be the same. You know why? It's about me, not them. It's about my, my, my tipping says, says something about me, not something about the person serving. So I remember one time we went and uh, we went in and I paid the bill. And as you know, you go up to cash register, you pay the bill and I come out. And my kids are just acting like more squirrely than normal. They're just all excited and they come out in the parking lot and they run and they jump up in the car and they're looking out the back window back into the Waffle House. I'm like, what are y'all doing? He says, well, they went around the house, got every coin, they emptied out their wallets I think they even stole some money to leave, <laughs> to leave as a tip for this person working at Waffle House. And I think, I think they gathered, and you know, breakfast is $15 there. I think they gathered about 50 bucks, left it on the table, and they were beside themselves with excitement to watch somebody else get that. Because they knew, man, sometimes it's, it makes you happy. Generosity can make you happier. Generosity, when you give makes you happier. And some of us have experienced that. Man, generosity also unlocks the life that I want. Generosity also unlocks the life that I want. I'm going to read a passage out of, uh, out, of Tim, out of 1 Timothy today. And I really believe that this is a prophetic word for our time, for our culture, for what we experience on a regular basis. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, the, 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 the context of this... G, Timothy writes this. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Have you heard this? A lot of times what happens, we, we hear that money is the root of all evil. And, and it's not. It's the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil because it causes you to wander away from the faith, is what uh, the author Paul is writing to his young pastor Timothy. And because Timothy's a pastor, I kind of, in my mind, I, I read this the way maybe, what if Paul were writing this letter to me as your pastor? So he says this in verse 17. It says, as for the rich in this present age, well, let's just do a full stop right there. I think we can all acknowledge that we're rich. I don't have to go through and quote the statistics about how we live and all that. I mean, we can go swipe a card and get gas and not even look at how much it costs. We can say, hey, you want to go out to eat without thinking about budgeting for it? 
Like, we can do that. There are some things that we get to do. We can send our kids to private school, or we can, you know, run down and buy something if we need it. Like, as a general rule, we're rich. So we say, hey, if you're rich in this present age, he says, charge them. That means warn. Not to be haughty. In other words, materialistic. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So here's the thing. Even though we are rich, they were rich, there's no guilt involved here. He's saying God has provided everything for you to enjoy. You sit down at breakfast at Waffle House. He provided that for you to enjoy. And when you go to, you know, when you go to, to put gas in your car, he provided that for you to enjoy. And when you put on your new shoes or old shoes, God provided those for you to enjoy, for me to enjoy. We're provided things to enjoy. We shouldn't feel guilty, but what should we do? He says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share and store up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future so that they may, you may, take hold of that which is truly life. So he's saying pay attention to how you're handling your money because materialism is coming for you. Listen, generous people, they they have the life that we all want. And there's a life out there that's promoted as the good life. And, you know, it's get what you can, enjoy the trips. And many of us enjoy that good life. I see you on Instagram. Don't think you're hiding. But, and there's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't we should feel guilty about that. But we need to be sure. We need to be careful. We need to be confident that we're not trusting that that life is going to go on forever. Because there's more to your life than this life. He uses this word, take hold of. In, in, uh, in verse 19, he says, take hold of that which is, which is truly life. And he, here's what that word means. The word literally comes from a word that means to reach down and rescue someone from danger. So imagine someone fell in a hole or fell in a fire or was getting attacked by a wild animal and you reach out and you grab them and you pull them to safety. What, what Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying that there's a danger to being rich. It's materialism. It's believing that those things can, can actually save you. And that we need to be sure that Timothy need to be sure as a pastor that he reached down and grabs people to bring them back to safety. And I'll be honest, I take this very seriously. Because there's a lot of context you could go around around the world in churches, and you could teach on materialism. It really wouldn't matter, would it? They don't have a lot. But in our context, it's probably at least the top two dangers that we face, that we begin to get sucked away by culture. Like, have you noticed that kind of since the fall is back, and we're kind of back in full speed doing the things we always have done, that busy has come back to our lives, that, that we just let it come right back. I never think I'm busy until someone asks me to do something. I'm like, I can't, I'm busy. My calendar's full. And we got to guard against that as well. But we gotta, gotta guard against, we got to guard against materialism. Here, here's how much Jesus talked about money. One out of ten verses, Jesus told 38 parables. Parables are stories with a point, a moral. 16 of them, almost half, had to do with money. 25% of Jesus' teachings addresses financial issues. Now, can you imagine if every fourth Sunday I got up and talked about money? But Jesus did it. Why would he do that? Because he knew something. Man, Jesus knows something. And he's trying to rescue us and save us from the trap that looks so enticing. 
We need to pay attention. We should have a working hypothesis that this could be an issue because Jesus talked about it. You know what, you know what sin nobody's ever confessed to me? Like people can will come in my office on occasion and be like, Yeah, I got arrested for blank. And that, or whatever. My ruin my family doing blank. Nobody's ever come into my office and said, Yeah, I'm greedy. I'm a taker. Nobody. Because we're blind to it. And here's where the question comes up: how do I know? Like, how do I know if I'm materialistic? How do I know if I'm a giver or a taker? Look at your bank account. It will tell you. You know what your house is for? I mean, you should use your house, first of all, as a hotel for people who need a place to stay. Man, you, you, should, you should use your house as a, as a club for people to celebrate in. <laughs> you should use it as a restaurant for people to come and connect over dinner. And that's the way we can use the things that God has given us. As, as Timothy says, use everything. Use everything for good and store up treasure in heaven like your car. Like, what's your car for? To help people? Maybe run a little carpool. There's a guy in our church that he runs carpool with his little second graders every single day of the week. And as they're going, they're singing worship songs and praying in the car. Right? We can leverage everything that we have for the gospel and for the kingdom. Like, what, how do you know? How do you know if you're a giver or taker? Just look at how you use your resources. The promise is you can un, it will unlock the life that you want. Hey, the third promise, generosity expands my influence. Generosity expands my influence. In Psalm chapter 112, verses 5 and 9, it says, Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. So honesty and integrity, of course. They share freely and they give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. Like your influence is directly tied to your generosity. One example we have in our day of generosity is this guy named Rick Warren. How many of you guys have heard of Rick Warren? Like a handful of guy, people. Rick Warren is a popular pastor. He also wrote this book called The Purpose Driven Life, which is the second best-selling book in uh, nonfiction book in history outside the Bible. So pretty, pretty influential, global influence. So he tells a story that as he was... Starting the church, they, him and his wife, they don't, they're broke as a joke, and they moved to Orange County, California, where everything's really cheap, and they launched Saddleback Church. And that year, he, he tithed. He gave away 10% of his income. I'm going to talk about that in a second. So 10% of his income year one. Year two, he adds a percent. He says, I wanted my heart to grow bigger, so I increased my giving. So after year one, he's at 11%, 12%. He gets to year 15, he's at 25%, and he on up to 35%. And it was right in that time of when he was giving between 25 and 35% of his income away, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. Well, after it all happened and everything uh, had kind of blown up, he's at a Senate hearing. Influence. One of the senators pulls him aside during a recess between meetings and they says, Rick, why do you think God allowed you, picked you, to write The Purpose Driven Life? And without thinking, without hesitation, Rick Warren said, because he knew what I would do with the money. He knew what I would do with the money. He knew I'd be generous because I had a track record of it. Hey, generosity will increase your influence. And it will increase God's belief and understanding and confidence in what you will do with your influence. He will know that he can trust you with influence. Let me ask you, how much influence would your generosity give you? If you just looked at how generous you were, and specifically financially, 
If you could just measure, like, how much influence is that? We, we all want influence. In big ways, small ways, on some level, we all want influence. How much influence would your generosity say that you have? Listen, God's dreams for you, they're too big for your money. Generosity multiplies my money. Now, this is where it gets a little crazy right now, doesn't it? Like, I can give and I'll get rich? Feels wrong, doesn't it? But in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, verse 11, it says, You will be enriched in every way. He's talking about giving. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So it says you will be enriched. You will be given more when you're generous. You will be given more. Now, now, now there is a belief out there. It's called prosperity theology. How many of you guys have heard of prosperity theology? Prosperity theology says this. Hey, you give $1,000 to the church, and you'll probably get $10,000, $100,000. God's going to make you rich. You're going to get that new house. You're going to get that new car or whatever. That is complete heresy, all right? Uh, another one of those bold, blunt times I told you I'd be. Um, there, there's nothing in the Bible that would give us any indication that God's going to make us rich. You look at Jesus, what did he have? He didn't have anything while he was here. You look at his disciples, the closest followers, died broke and bad. Like, broke and bad. That sounds like a TV title. Died broke and bad. They had nothing, and they died execution, beheading, all that. So, but but what, what, what I think what Paul is talking about here when he writes this is that God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100%. Now, this is where the idea of tithing comes in. This one's really, really important. Because I believe tithing is a word that's way overused, and it's the most misunderstood and misused word in Christianity. Tithing. Because we look at tithing as kind of a tip or just whatever amount I give to God. And tithing literally means 10%. Okay, it literally means 10%. You know how if you, if you get a quarter of something, you get what? 25%. Tithing literally means 10%. And so what we see in the Bible is this principle of tithing, of giving 10% of our gross income. So let's say you make you know, $200,000 just right off the top without even thinking about it. You would give $20,000 just however it came into you. That's what a tithe is. And some people ask this question, is it gross or is it net? I'm like, it depends. Is Uncle Sam your master or is God? I mean, it's, it's pretty simple, right? Another one of those blunt, bold times I told you was coming. So we give 10% off the top. Now, for the Christians in the room, the church people in the room, just a quick note on this. I know some of you, I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, tithing, that's Old Testament. Now, if you don't know what that means, just you can listen in, but don't worry about it. You're in really good shape. Um, tithing, that, that's, old, that's Old Testament. That's law. Like you've been sold a bill of goods. That's not true. Tithing, 10% is actually implied throughout the New Testament. And here's another thing to remember. So, tithing, Jesus, when, when he abolished the law, he never lowered the res responsibilities and requirements, did he? He said if you hate someone, you've committed murder. He always raised the bar. So listen, if you're using 10%, that's Old Testament, as an excuse not to give 10%, you're missing out on the life that God has for you. A tithe is 10% of what you make. And here's what happens. When you give 10% to God, just starting out, he can do so much more. What you're saying with that is, I want God involved in my finances. I want God in charge of my finances. And when I was in seminary, my mom had taught me to give. That's why I'm probably a little passionate and emotional around this issue. My mom had nothing. Um, 
And, man, she always gave, and God always provided for her. I can remember going to seminary, and I started out with a really good job, working on my master's and part-time, working as an actuary, paid all the bills. But then I went to work at a church making $400 a month. My rent was $395. But somehow I just kept giving the 10%, and God just kept providing miraculously in a lot of different ways. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. It will multiply your money. Final, final promise. Generosity brings God's blessing. Generosity brings God's blessing. Over in the book of Malachi, which is actually in the Old Testament, we see this story. And it is, what's happening is God's people, they've stopped bringing God the tithe. Now, they, in the Old Testament, they gave 25 to 35% of their income. But they had stopped doing that. And then when they brought an animal for sacrifice, they would always bring like the lame ones. The broke ones, the one whose leg was, you know, not working right or one that had a spot. They weren't bringing the best. And so this is what, this is what God says, um, starting out, let's see, verse 8. He says, will a man rob God? Like, I don't know, care if you believe in God or not. That feels scary. Robbing God feels like a bad day. Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And he says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, in our context, the storehouse is the church. The storehouse is Jesus' bride, the church. I mean, think about how husbands are supposed to love their brides, how they value their brides. Man, if you were to help my bride, you are to help my wife with something, I'd be like, thank you so much. And this is what God is saying, that the the first line of defense, the very first go-to when we give is the church, the storehouse. He says, there may be food in my house. He says, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a what? Blessing. A blessing until there's no more need. Listen, blessings are the birthright of Jesus' people. Blessings are the birthright of Jesus' people. Now, as I told you, I think the reason I'm so passionate about this is I've just seen this play out in my mom's life. Now, my mom's 82, and she was faithful to give when she didn't have anything, and I can remember those days. I remember, and she would give. And so now she lives a life where people are calling her for advice. They show up at her house to do Bible studies. She has impacted literally hundreds and hundreds of women probably in the last 10 years kind of towards the end of her life. Man, she has some fantastic children. She has some amazing grandkids and great-grandkids now. And I have to think this is the blessing of the Lord in her life. And then in March, I'm going to get to take her on her dream trip to go to Israel. And I firmly believe it's because she proved her faith through generosity. Listen, your, the blessing for you may be that your kids like to, when they, when they become adults, they call you for advice. You have a good relationship with them. It could be that you have grandkids that come and hang around. It could be that you have people around the country that call you and ask about you and ask for your advice and help. And this, this is the blessing of the Lord in people's lives, even when they're generous, because it impacts every area of our lives. And we got to fight for it. Man, it's not something we can just settle into. So many times we can just start giving a little bit, and that's just kind of, we put it on autopilot, and we forget. Do you notice how much you fight to grow in every area of your life? And for some of you gym rats, man, you go in the gym, it's the progressive principle, isn't it? 
I got to do this this week. I got to pay attention because next week I got to do more. Why? So I can grow, so I can get better. If I'm running this far this week, I'm going to run that much further next week. Why? So I can grow and so I can get better. And this is the command that we have also in Scripture when it comes to our generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says this, but as you excel in everything, everything, and we excel in everything. We talked about giving our best last week. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, see to it that you excel in this act of grace, giving as well. See, we're all in different places. And I think the question you have to ask is like, where, where can I grow? Like, where, where can I grow? Like, what is God doing in my life? And so this is what I want to do. I want to give just two real practical tips today for you, for, for all of us, when it comes to being generous people and grabbing a hold of the life that God has for us. You know, the first thing I'm going to say is that in your seat, you'll see there's a QR code, right? There's a QR code. And you can scan that. And I'm going to challenge you, wherever you are in your giving journey, maybe you're already, you're, you're already you know, doing regular giving, it's recurring. Today, I'm just going to say, you should just give a one-time gift, just as an act of, just as an act of generosity. Maybe you've never given to a church. And, and I think that maybe, just maybe, you should, you should just try it out and just test it and see what happens when God that. And you can just scan that with your phone. And I know that there are times some people are skeptical, right? And I know like when I tell the Rick Warren story, you're like, yeah, but if I sold millions of books, I would give away 91% of my income too. And you wouldn't because you don't give anything now. You're, you're a taker. And I know you feel bad about that. But there's a very easy solution. And some of you would say, ah, you know, church is just about money. I'm, I'm, I'm so far past that in our culture. Like, if you showed up here today and thought that, man, you, you, you don't know us. You've not seen the lives that are changed here. You didn't watch what just happened down here in this baptistry. This is one of more of those bold and blunt times I was telling you about. And so I, my, I just want to challenge you that maybe, just maybe, God's trying to do a work in your heart. And you're not letting him. Today, take that step just to give. The church doesn't need the money. just feel like I should say that. We're doing fine. But we do have big vision, Stone Creek. We're going to roll out some things next spring that are going to just be so exciting but also scary at the same time. But vision takes money, but it's God's money anyway. First thing, scan. Second thing, you should just talk to somebody about it. Like if you happen to be married... Talk to your spouse about it. What I've experienced with people, usually one of the spouses handles the money. They're the Dave Ramsey freak in the family. And the other person doesn't know kind of what's happening and what's giving. So, you know, I do the finances at our house. And, you know, I, so I sit down every, every month with Debbie like, hey, here's what happens. Here's where we gave. Here's where it went. Here's how much it was. And I just, we talk it out because they, they, just, they just don't know. I'm, I'm going to challenge you to have a conversation. And if you're not married, I'm going to challenge you to have a conversation with someone that you trust, that loves Jesus. And who just make, make you a little, a little uncomfortable in your generosity journey? And listen, if you're like, oh, I don't want to do that, I think that's telling you something, right? It's telling you something. Man, my greatest desire that we would be a church that just lets generosity be an act of a rebellion against the materialistic culture. Amen? Like that we would be that kind of people that we're not going to let getting a higher standard of living be the only thing that we're chasing after. That we're storing up treasure in heaven. Because guess what? That's where we're going. There's going to come a day we get to stand before God. But even now, God knows. It's not like we have to wait. And I think that as you think about entering into what's going to be 
the left of your life and how God's going to just look at your life and he's going to ask you to give an account for it. If you're generous, guess what? You can say, you know, there were these girls in India that we helped sponsor. Their dads had sold them out to trafficking. Man, but we stepped in and we helped them and we put them in transformation groups and they heard the gospel and their lives are changed. You know what Jesus is going to say? Yeah, and there they are. Why don't you go give them a hug? And then we're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, hey, you remember when you were generous? There was that couple that lived out in white columns and everybody thought their house was great and their yard was manicured and they got no letters from the HOA. (laughs) But inside it was full of darkness and trouble and struggle. And because of your generosity, you rescued that marriage and you rescued those kids and you rescued generations. Because you believed in it generous. Remember that kid at Cambridge? That kid that went to school every day and every morning woke up saying, I just got to end it. This is just too much. I hate my life. Nobody cares about me. I'm not valuable. But because of your generosity, that kid graduated from high school, got involved with our students, came to Christ, and now has a future life. Once you go over there and give him a hug, and that's what's waiting for people who are generous. Let's pray together. Yeah.